0: The Apostle Paul wanted the Christians in Rome to remember and to realise even more than they ever had before that when it comes to the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing else like it. As we consider it 2,000 years later, he wants all of us here at Belvedere Road Church to realise afresh that when it comes to the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, There is nothing else like it. In many ways, these two verses summarise the entire letter. The truths which they contain have been life-changing and faith-affirming for many Christians. My prayer is that it will be so for us this evening. The entire letter to the Romans, and especially these two verses, set free Men like Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he was caught under this tyranny of thinking that if he was to be saved, if he was to have any assurance of heaven when he died, then the whole thing lay in his own hands. The whole thing depended entirely upon how God would eventually rate his performance. Would he have accumulated sufficient good works? Would he have attained a sufficient degree of righteousness as he strove to do penance for his sins, as he strove to complete this pilgrimage and that pilgrimage and to complete all types of forms of service to God? And why is none of this bringing any rest to my soul? And it was in the reading of the Scriptures. And it was very much connecting the reading of these Scriptures. Actually, he was giving lectures to students on these Scriptures. And the truth suddenly dawned on him. The light of the Gospel burst into his soul and set him free. There is a righteousness which God requires in each of us, the likes of which none of us can ever attain. But that righteousness is offered freely as a gift in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luther would write these words. It is that righteousness Whereby, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn. Of course, he had been. He'd been born again. And to have gone through open doors into paradise. And this passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. Has it for you? Or if it never has, well, maybe this evening, by God's grace, it will. The entirety of Paul's life had also been conquered by this same gospel of God. His life had been given over to the preaching of the gospel as we saw last week. And as he completes this introduction... And before he begins to explain it all in finer detail, Paul makes this emphatic statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Yes, it's come to the Jews first. Of course, that was, we've been reminded by Paul, haven't we, all through the Old Testament, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Came to the Jews first, but it's for everyone. It's come to the Greeks, it's for the whole world. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, when you set the gospel alongside the philosophies and ideologies of this sinful world, to many, the gospel will seem foolish. Narrow-minded? Offensive? Laughable? Why? Well, the gospel of God and the truth of God completely rejects any notion or concept that men and women are basically good and that with the right sort of attitude, the right kind of pattern of thinking, the right kind of effort and application and given the right encouragement, All of us can self-help and self-improve, even to the point of making ourselves acceptable to God. The Bible, the Gospel just pours ice-cold water over all of that. The Gospel insists that there is a fixed moral, ethical standard which all of us are bound by. And against which all of us will one day be measured and judged. And if we're in our sins, we will most certainly be found guilty. The Gospel of Christ condemns the moral and ethical standards which men and women insist they are at liberty to decide for themselves. No, 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 says the Gospel. The gospel requires all of us to acknowledge that there is a God who is the source and originator and sustainer of all things and to whom we are all accountable. And Christians will frequently find themselves in the minority numerically, often substantially so. Paul experienced all of these things. Paul experienced all of these arguments against it. Paul experienced all of these kinds of rejections against the gospel that he was teaching. But he's not ashamed of the gospel. And it seems that as his ministry went on he just became more and more convinced. He's completely convinced by the gospel and of the certainty of the truth that the gospel reveals. And in these two verses, he tells us why. Number one, power. Power. To be a Christian requires something so much more than you or I could ever find or discover within ourselves. That's what we were hearing this morning, wasn't it? John the Baptist, he baptised with water, but Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Someone much mightier than I is who you need. It's going to require something and someone far greater than me, said John the Baptist. Paul puts it to the Ephesians that all of us are born dead in our sins. We're all born as children of wrath, God's hot anger against us in our sinfulness. And to become a Christian Well, that is to have God bring you from that state of death and make you alive. To completely change your nature, your identity. No longer to be a child of wrath, but actually to be a child of God. Now, that requires a power. To change us on the inside which we don't possess. That requires a power that you or I could never produce or generate within ourselves. But God does have that power to change you. And Paul says here in Romans 1 that God releases that power. God works in his power through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who will believe. We know that wherever Paul went, he went with one message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified, he tells the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The thing that you need to happen to you, God can and will do through the proclaiming of this gospel and as you hear it. It is in this gospel message coming to you and God, in a way that only he understands really, he works by his Holy Spirit through this message and changes sinners forever. So, in that first letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, a little earlier than the text I just quoted, in the first chapter, Paul says this. Now, listen to the similarities of what Paul says to the Corinthian church when you have in front of you what he said to the church in Rome. Listen to the similarities. It shouldn't surprise us, but just note how close they are because nothing's changed, of course. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. The message of the cross, of course that's the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer? The, the philosopher, the debater, the, the one who thinks he's so intellectually sharp. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, hasn't got the capacity to attain to the things of God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Jews request a sign. Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do you see the consistency in what Paul says in these two different letters? Paul knows that the Jews find this message to be a stumbling block, but he doesn't change a thing. Paul knows that the Greeks find this to be foolishness, but he doesn't change a thing. Paul, why don't you change tack? Why don't you try something different so that you don't stumble the Jews and so that the Greeks find it more plausible? (coughs) Good question, answers Paul. For this reason, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who will believe. There is no other message. There is no other way. There is no other saviour. It's through the preaching of this gospel that God works in his power. There's only one thing that you can believe that will save you and it's this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, to preach anything else means that no one will be saved. If you are saved, it's because you heard and believed this gospel and for no other reason. You see, you can approach it from all of these different angles, but you've always got to come back to this basic statement of Paul. And the question goes out, therefore, are you saved? Have you believed this gospel? It doesn't matter what else you believe. Do you believe this? And actually, believing this will stop you from believing all kinds of other things, but do you believe this? Writing that letter to the Corinthians, when he gets to what we have as chapter 15 in our Bibles today, because of course the chapters and verses weren't there as Paul wrote them, Paul just reminds them. Let me just remind you what this gospel is. Brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. Let me just remind you, he says. This is the gospel you received, this is the gospel in which you stand. This is the gospel by which you are saved. As long as you keep holding this fast, keep to that which I preach to you. Because the way you become a Christian is the way you carry on as a Christian. Unless you believed in vain. Unless you were never really converted in the first place. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Number one, that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. Number two, that he was buried because he really was dead. And number three, he rose again the third day and all of it according to the scriptures. That, says Paul, is the message I preach. That is the message by which men and women are saved. Yes there will be all kinds of other reactions and other kinds of responses. But I press on with this because anyone who is ever going to be saved will only be saved by this means and this means is the only means that God has given. Those who are saved are only saved by this which I preach. And of course this, is now, this has been handed down from generation to generation to generation and Paul expects us today 2,000 years later to be nodding in agreement saying yes Paul and this is us. This is us. The Greek word Paul uses for power some of you will know it's the word which we get in the English language for dynamite. Real explosive power. I don't know how stubborn you were before you were saved, but I needed real explosive power to move and change me. God has it in abundance. He can change any sinner through this gospel. God works in power in those who believe. God works in power so that they may believe. And he does so as and when this gospel is preached. Life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming power. The power of God. It's as this gospel is preached that God does his calling. We saw that in verse 6 a few weeks ago. This is the method and the means which God has ordained. Nothing else. Of this, Paul is utterly convinced And so in this, he is not ashamed. This is the commission God has given him. He stands on this or he falls. He has nothing else. Why would I be ashamed of this great good news? Power. God's power, which comes through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, purpose. The purpose, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. God himself is perfectly and totally righteous. Here's one way you can think about that. Think of righteous as being in the right. If you drive through a green traffic light, you are in the right. That is, to be righteous. If you drive through a red traffic light, you are in the wrong. Unrighteous, which the Bible also describes as wickedness. God in himself has and is his own moral standard. It is one of absolute and total purity and holiness and perfection. Everything he does is morally right and good and perfect. In his judgment and his justice and his compassion and his mercy and his grace and in his forgiveness of sin and in his punishment of sin in every way and in every regard, God is absolutely and completely in the right. He is never, has never been, will never be in the wrong, ever. Everything about God is in the right, perfectly righteous. And you and I are not. Are you? Am I? Your own conscience reminds you of that fact every day. The Bible spells it out for you in black and white. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to our own path. How far We've wandered. Our supposed righteousness before God, it's like filthy rags, said the prophet Isaiah. And I won't embarrass you by explaining what he actually was referring to in the Hebrew. Trust me, it's not a very nice thing to say about someone. It's not meant to be. If I told you what it meant, you would say, that is just obnoxious. That is disgusting. That is how even your supposed righteousness is before God and mine too. I think it was designed to shock people, to make an impact upon them, to make them sit up and listen and take note. All have sinned. And fallen short of God's glory. Way, way short. There is none righteous. There is none in the right before God. Not one. Therein lies our biggest problem. Therein lies your eternal destiny in your sinful state. When the judge of all the earth shall come. When he shall do right. Right when he will condemn sinners to eternal destruction as the penalty for their sins. And when he does that, he will be in the right to do it because he is God and all his ways are perfect. Therein lies your great dilemma as the kingdom of heaven draws near as we considered this morning. God is in the right And you and I are in the wrong before him, and some. And as Paul understood, and as the most amazing smile broke out on the face of Martin Luther as it suddenly dawned on him, herein lies God's remarkable answer and solution. Herein lies the key to understanding why only by this gospel may men and women ever be saved. God himself has revealed how it is that you and I are not in the right. Yet we may become in the right before him. Let's put it like this. All of us are in the wrong before God. There is an in the rightness that we all need. Righteousness, in the rightness. We all need it. And that in the rightness has been revealed by God and has come to us from God. God has revealed how you who don't have it may have it because there is one man who walked this earth who is not like us he walked this earth and remained perfectly in the right before his heavenly father he remained without sin was the one who was good enough to pay the price of sin who could unlock the gate of heaven to let me in yes One man who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we might receive from God and in the rightness before him. That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 1, 17. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only man who ever lived whose life was totally and perfectly in the right before God. And as the blameless Lamb of God, he went to the cross and he took upon himself my sin, paid the penalty of my sin through his sufferings and death, that I might be pardoned and forgiven. But that only swings the pendulum back halfway. I started way, way over there in the wrong And Christ's death and resurrection has paid for my sins. And that kind of brings me back to the center line. Where I'm kind of neither right nor wrong. But I I need more than that. I need to be taken by God from totally in the wrong to totally in the right before him. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. I need to be shifted from a place of unrighteousness to righteousness. Anyone here think they can manage that for themselves? Christ has died for my sins. But more than that, Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed to me, is put to my account. So the perfect righteousness of Christ, the in the rightness of Christ, God looks at me and sees that which is Christ as belonging to me. Christ's righteousness considered to be mine, paid to my account, imputed to me, It's it's like a legal declaration that God makes over everyone who belongs to him. That now, in Christ, you are in the right before me. Why? Because of the in the rightness of Christ, which I have imputed to you and put to your account. In the Lord Jesus Christ of this gospel, this righteousness of God is revealed the the righteousness, righteousness you need which may only be found through Christ. And So because it's Christ's righteousness imputed to me, I now have a righteousness which is satisfactory to God. I have a righteousness which matches God's righteousness. I have a righteousness which has no wrongness in it because it's Christ's righteousness and there's no wrongness in him. And so I have a righteousness that is on a par with God's righteousness because my righteousness has come from the man who is God. It's glorious. I've been a Christian for over 40 years and I'm still struggling, actually, if I'm honest, to understand it. But more and more and more, I know it's true. And I absolutely believe it. And it's glorious. Jesus has attained it for us. And it's put to my account. And as we progress through the letter, we'll see the Apostle Paul defining this as being how we are justified before God. He's going to go on and explain this in a wonderful way. Jesus has attained this righteousness that I need and it is revealed in his gospel. And this is what happens as we turn in repentance and saving faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that that leads on to our final point which is a principle and it's the principle of faith. From faith to faith as it's written the just shall live by faith. And Paul here is quoting the the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Having this righteousness has always been an issue of faith for the individual. Abraham believed God and he had faith in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We We become just before God as we come to him by faith. This gospel offers God's salvation as a gift it can never be earned it can never be deserved it can never be merited and martin luther went, Whew. it did need to be paid for but the redemption price is paid the ransom has already been paid by the shed blood of christ now it just needs to be received and it's received by faith complete Trust in the merits of Christ. That he is that righteousness revealed from heaven that I need. That he is that saviour who's come to deal with the penalty of all my sins. Believing this gospel, trusting this Lord Jesus Christ by faith. One hymn writer put it like this. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Vile, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. This gospel is all of God. This salvation is all of God. This cleansing and forgiveness of sins is all of God. This being put right with and made right with God. This being now in the right with God. Think of that. It's all of Him. God can look at you, Christian. And you are in the right with him now. You're no longer his enemy. His wrath has gone. His condemnation is no more. Because in Christ, you are in the right with him. And it's all because of the Saviour. Such love, such compassion, such grace, such mercy. Sending his own son to accomplish everything that I need. Everything that you need, that you might be made right with him and reconciled to him. And the rest of Paul's letter, it will unpack all of these truths for us. Explain them in further detail. So you need to stay with us on Sunday evenings. There is nothing for me to do. There is nothing I can do, save this one thing, believe, trust, by faith take hold of Christ, take hold of the Saviour, repenting of my sin, trusting in him. Have you done that? Some of you know this story, you've heard me use it before. That famous tightrope walker, Blondin, as he was walking backwards and forwards across Niagara Falls on his tightrope and he pushed a sack of potatoes across in a barrow and then brought them back again. Who thinks I could take them across in my barrow? Every hand went up. Who's going to get in the barrow? And every hand went down. This believing faith climbs into the barrow of the gospel held in the hands of Christ and you believe it And you trust him. He will take me to the far side. And it will all be okay. That's faith. This is why Paul can never be ashamed of the gospel. Because this is what the gospel can do. And this is what the gospel does that can be done by nothing else. By faith I must stretch out my hand in believing, receive that which God has done for me, a miserable sinner, by the Lord Jesus Christ, God's gift of grace to me and for me. That's what suddenly broke into the heart and mind and soul of Martin Luther. And the spiritual reformation in Europe was born as he was born again. And so may you be. It starts with faith. As we turn from our sin to Christ. It continues in faith. As we continue turning from our sin to Christ. It is all of God from beginning to end. Christ is the author of your faith. He began it and he will finish it so that you can complete it. You must continue by faith in him. This is the gospel. This is the dynamite of God for everyone who will believe. Many will sneer. Many will mock. Many will deride. Many will declare it foolish. Some will openly hate it many will say you are a fool for believing it but this gospel and this gospel alone is the dynamite of god for everyone who believes you will receive the rightness of christ so that you in him will forever be in the right with god And his kingdom is near. So, have you believed? And have you been saved?